Yes, you're very, very welcome to the beautiful game here on UC 98.3 FM. You're very, very welcome to the beautiful game here on UC 98.3 FM. We've got a very, very busy show for you today as well. And uh, we'll be talking GA with the All Ireland Hurling final taking place this Sunday at half three between Limerick and Waterford. That's to come. We've also uh, going to be talking the Olympics because breakdancing has been named an Olympic sport for Paris 2024. And we also going to be looking ahead to the Champions Cup rugby as well that's all to come on the show and it's going to be a very very busy one for sure uh, looking forward to it so uh, we're going to kick off today uh, with the, the darts because the World Darts Championship is taking place at the Alexandra Palace next week next Tuesday at, uh, on the 15th of December so it's going to be uh, an interesting one and I'm, for one, I'm really looking forward to it. And so is Jack McGuire and I caught up with him uh, this week uh, to look ahead to the showpiece event in the Darts calendar. Palace on the 15th of December, so next Tuesday, a little bit earlier than usual, usually about the first week before Christmas and then they kind of bring it into the the new year a little bit later but uh, at least it's going ahead and there's going to be fans there as well, I believe, uh, around 1,000 fans uh, per day so at least there'll be some sort of atmosphere there There, although I, I saw they're not allowing any football chants or fancy, fancy dress uh, so to speak but it'll be something anyway to support yeah Oh, for sure, definitely. You know, uh, to be honest, it's great that we have the World Championships at all because the way things have gone this year, you know, it, it's been it's been touch and go for a while. And you know, I think that we have some fans there is a boost because uh, darts is nothing without fans. Like I'm sure people have seen, you know, competitions on on television, and you know, there's no, it's just an empty floor in front of the stage. It, it's it's such a different uh, experience for the players as well because like the players get a, a massive boost off the fans. So like. Coming into the biggest tournament of the year, you know, the fans are going to be a boost. I know they they can't be, you know, as you say, fancy dress and all that, the same excitement. But nonetheless, it'll bring a, a sort of normality to it, if you like, you know. I'm sure the darts all over Christmas wrapped up on, I think, the 3rd of January, which is later than the usual New Year's Day final. But that just means we have more darts. There's afternoon sessions, evening sessions all over Christmas. So entertainment started from next week till till the start of the new year, hopefully anyway. That's it. The more the merrier. And I, as you said, it's a great point you made there about, you know, it is. it just really isn't the same without the fans. It's one of those sports that probably really... It just suffered hugely from the fact that just of no crowds because it's like a different event completely from watching it just from as a casual fan on the outside looking in and it's crucial that the sport gets to have this opportunity to showcase the talent on display you know for a wide range of sports fans not just we'll say the hardcore um group like yourself and it it, it does wonders i i can only imagine for the profile of the sport 
Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, like the World Championships, you know, it's the kind of thing that people mightn't watch darts all year. But when the World Championship comes on in December, you know, it, it's it's almost a part of Christmas. It certainly is in my house anyway. And I'm sure in many others, you know, when Ali Pali starts middle of December, you know, you're nearly into Christmas then. And it, it is a ritual now with Christmas. It goes hand in hand, you know, like every day over Christmas, you know, before Christmas Eve and uh, after Stephen's Day. It's all about looking who's playing, who's playing, you know, you're working out, you know, what games are going to happen over the time. And, you know, it, it is, it's a huge event. Like usually there'd be sellout. You wouldn't get tickets for Alexandra Palace, you know, it's incredible. It's so popular, but, uh, you know, we have the best talents in the world on the show. And I think, um, you know, it just makes it all worthwhile now. Like, you know, you have the best names, including several Irish uh, competitors, but, you know, they're going to make it. I think it's a bit of home interest and, uh, I can't wait to see it get going. Yeah. Anyway. Is it a record? Seven Irish players. Um, that's the most I've ever, that I can remember anyway, um, taking part uh, at the event. And some big names there. Daryl Gurney, who's had a successful tournament in the past. You have the, we might just start off with him. I'm going to go through you know, a couple of others because there's so much Irish talent on display. I guess before getting into who maybe has the best chance of progressing out of the, the Irish contingent. It's been a pretty successful couple of years for Irish darts. The sport seems to be in a good place in this country. Um, for example, the the Irish team got to the final of the World Darts Championship last year. I know they came unstuck a little bit earlier um, on the, uh, this year. But uh, it, sports seems to be in a good place. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, oh, I, I agree with you. It's gone from strength to strength in the last couple of years, particularly. You know, all you need to do is is look at the, the youth competitions even throughout the country. Like that's, the, you know, the talent that's on show there is incredible, you know. Like even the, the, the Tom Kirby is, is the annual competition, like, you know, where it decides who goes to Alexandra Palace. But the, the standard is incredible. And, you know, the amount of players that we've seen coming through, the likes of Keen Barry there and some of these young players, the, you know, for their, you know, they don't show any nerves. They're just steady, steady players, you know, and it's like they've been around years, you know, they, they don't take any notice of big matches and they just do their thing. And I think that's incredible to see because the pressure that's on them, you know, the pressure that's put on players nowadays to perform is, is incredible. And, you know, I, I think, as you say last year in the, in the World Cup, and beating England and getting to the final, that, that was a massive achievement. And it just shows how far darts has come, you know, there's more people taking it up now People take it up casually or, you know, take it seriously. But it's a great pastime, you know. And I, I, I took it up casually a, a good few years ago now. But, you know, I got more into competitions and more into playing competitively. Obviously, didn't go as far as some of the, the Irish uh, players we have today. But, you know, it's, it's such an enjoyable pastime. Like, and, you know, it's, it's an easy sport. Anyone can play it, you know. So I, I think it's an, one open to anyone. And if you have the, the commitment to it, you know, I think you'll do well. And one of the names you just mentioned there was 18-year-old Keen Barry from Mees, world champion last year, a huge talent. Uh, what are his prospects uh, in this tournament? What what qualifies a success for him, do you think? Well, to be honest with you, he actually has a tough game. He's playing Jeff Smith in the first round, and like Jeff is Canadian. Jeff is a fantastic player. Like, he was in the BDO. He was a world finalist. He's a very, very steady player. And, you know, Jeff is used to the big stage. We've seen Jeff on many occasions, the World Cup with Canada. We've seen him at the World Championship last year. You know, he's a very, very handy player. And Keith Barry, he will have his work cut out against Jeff Smith. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend he won't. But uh, I, I'd love to see him do well. Uh, Jeff, Jeff is, is a very nice player. But, 
Now, I'd like to see Keane Barry do well. He was he was good all last year, you know, when he was under pressure in matches, he really pulled it out of the bag like and I I'd like to see him do well, but it's it's not going to be easy against Jeff Smith. He's he's a very handy player and he's a seasoned player as well. So, I don't know, but I uh, from what I've seen of Keane, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, put it past him, you know. I'd I'd he it's maybe an outside shot to to cause an upset. But at just 18, it's a fantastic experience for him just to get another opportunity on on the world stage to showcase his potential, uh, not just to the darts community, but we'll say to the Irish sports fans, uh, maybe he could become someone that could really transcend the sport in Ireland and maybe the image of it um, and just raise the profile. As you said, Irish darts is going from strength to strength and he could be um, the man maybe to, to bring that forward into a brighter future. But there's so many other Irish contenders. We've got the likes of Daryl Gurney, who's ranked number 11 in the world, or at least his seed is 11th going into this tournament. Would he be the best chance um, of going far uh, from an Irish perspective or who else could you see having a very good tournament? Well, yeah, I, I think Daryl Gurney is a is a very handy player, you know. He, he hasn't been in the best of form recently, you know. His form has kind of uh, been up and down a bit, but he, he, there's no doubt he's a class player. Like, you know, he has majors under his belt. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, Daryl Gurney, who's into the second round uh, of the draw, um, he will play the winner of William O'Connor and Neil Zonneville. Yeah, an Irish so Derby, maybe. End up having, yeah, it could be an Irish Derby in the second round, which would be fantastic, like, you know. It, it, it just goes to show how far we've come, like, and I think Daryl is, is a is a very handy player, but, you know, I think the likes of Brendan Dolan, Brendan, he's been around for years, a lovely man, and he's he's such a good player as well. He's very cool, you know, he won't be phased by anything, he'll do his thing. And as well, Nicky Mansell, who at the moment, you know, there's the PDC, the home tour, there's many uh, of the top professionals playing from home and competing on webcam, like, and uh, Mickey Mansell has been very steady. He played today, and I think he won five out of six games, including against the likes of, you know, Steve West and Damon Hetta, who's come on big in the last few months. I think I think it's very positive for Irish starts, but, you know, we, we just have to hope for the best, really, you know? There, there's good luck and bad luck, but, you know, I, I hope that they'll put on a show, and, you know, it shows that Ireland, you know, has to be taken seriously when it comes to the arts now as well. Definitely, I, I can't wait just to tune in from, from that perspective. But there's so many other um, variables that play, so many other interesting aspects going into this tournament. We've got the defending champion, Peter Wright of Scotland. As per, per tradition, he will be uh, getting his campaign underway in the second round on the opening night. What kind of shape is he in going into this tournament? Yeah, I don't think Peter's too bad, you know. Obviously, as you say, defending champion, you know, he's he's been around, he's done it all before. But, you know, he won't have an easy go at all, I don't think, because he's potentially, if things go as they're expected, he plays Steve West in the, in the round of 64, which Steve is a very good player. As I mentioned, the home tour, he was playing, playing today and playing other days in the home tour, and he was very good. He, you know, I don't think it'll be a, a straightforward run, and to be honest with you, I couldn't see Peter retaining his title. I think there's way too many, um, you know, serious talents there now. And with, with his farm this year, you know, he's been up and down. I, you know, I wouldn't bet against him winning. But at the same time, I, I, I can't see him retaining his title, unfortunately. I am a fan of his, but I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, well, he's certainly... Uh, so- you know he's a he's a bit of an enigma thing for sure a maverick or he's just with the hair and everything he really brings <laughs> a full kind of package to the to the tour he is a, a bit of x factor about him and 
definitely a great story it was a fantastic story last year when he ended up uh, winning with his family and stuff came on to the stage it was great to see world number one Michael Van Gerwen he's um, perhaps the biggest name in the sport at the moment uh, what what kind of shape is he going in uh, um, you know is he among the favourites again this year to win it outright I think so. He he is, I would say, the favourite this year. But he hasn't been in the best of form, you know, all year. He wasn't in he wasn't in great shape, to be honest. You know, I think the lack of competitive darts for a lot of the top players, you know, even though they are top professionals, the lack of competitive matches, you know, it seriously does affect players. You know, they lose that edge or they lose that, you know, that that instinct on doubles and stuff. And Van Gorin, up until only last week, I think he had suffered, you know. And it was um, it was only in the players' championship final, which was was a two weeks two weekends ago, I think, where he beat Marvin King in the final. I think that that was the first tournament in a long time where we had seen the real Michael Van Gerwen, you know, where we saw what he could actually do. And I, no matter what competition it is, I always find it hard to 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 bet against Van Gerwen. I I always think he's he's a dead sort to be in the final, you know, if not win every competition. I, I've never seen any player come near him. You know, in the last few years, while I've been following darts, and there's just nobody like him for consistency and power. You know, he's in a different a different zone when he's on the stage when he's playing. There's nobody can come near him because his dedication is incredible. Like, but uh, I I I would like to see him. You know, in the latter rounds, but it's Ali Pali. It, it has thrown up surprises before, and uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me this year if we had a had an outside winner. You know, because there are some some good players in form at the moment. Yeah, who would be some of your other picks to do very well in this tournament? Is there any dark horse maybe that could come out of the pack? Well, I think so. You know, a player that I've come to like in the last few months and I think has been fantastic is Damon Hetta. You know, he's he's an Australian player. He, he moved over to England only in the last number of weeks or months and he's based himself in England now. He's giving the professional game, you know, a proper go. He's going to give it everything and he's been very, very consistent. We saw him in we saw him in the Grand Slam and we saw him in the World Cup, obviously, with Australia, where he played with Simon Whitlock. He was very, very consistent and nothing seems to bother him. He's He has a perfect action, perfect straight follow-through. And uh, I think he's an outsider, but at the same time, if if he does win his uh, first round game, he'll play Adrian Lewis. But having said that, Adrian Lewis isn't in good form either. So, you know, I, I, I Damon Hetta is my pick as an outsider to uh, to do well. But uh, I'd love to see it. But uh, you know, you just don't know what Alexandra Palace like. There's just so many shocks, you know. But I think, uh, you know, as we said already, you know, well, Kieran Tian, you know, uh, from an Irish perspective, you know, I think he could he could put off a surprise. You know, he plays uh, Wayne Jones in the first round. Wayne has been around forever, you know, for years and years. But Kieran Tian is is very solid. You know, I've 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 been seen him play for years. Uh, my first ever. Uh, Darts competition. I actually played Kieran Tian with Cork Utes. It was my my first ever competition. You know, which was it must be six, must be six or seven years ago. But it was an incredible experience, and he, he was unbelievable then. But he's even better now, obviously. And I'm just delighted for him to see him do so well. And you know, I think he'll go well. He did well last year. You know, he, he was very very consistent last year, and I think he'll do okay against you. You know, so see how it goes but. yeah there's so many um, young prospects as well and he's just one of one of many and what I think is, is fantastic is 
as you mentioned, you only played this guy a, a few years ago. Now he's on the biggest stage in, in darts. This connection between, we'll say, the fans or even, we'll say, the recreational players and the pros is very close because we have so many of these guys. It's not uncommon to see the likes of Michael Van Gerwen and you know Peter Wright going around to, we'll say, the pubs or the hotels uh, across Britain and Ireland in particular, playing with, we'll say, the everyday club players. It's fantastic to see. It is. It's incredible, you know, and like you know, there's uh, there's been some great occasions, you know, even around around in West Cork, like you know, where I'm from. It's um, I I've played, I've actually played Phil Taylor, <laughs> believe it or not, in uh, in wow. the Manway, and it, there there must have been, I'd say, three or four hundred people there. But um, you know, walk up through the crowd onto the big stage and play Phil Taylor, you know, a sixteen-time champion of the world. That was an experience. I I, I did play um played Terry Jenkins as well before and, and John Henderson the Highlander uh, two other great experiences you know but it's just you know as you say it it gives the regular the regular fella a, a chance just against the, the top players you know and you know you're not expecting to win but nonetheless it's it's the experience of it you know you feel kind of a, a closeness to the sport and you know a lot of these players are down to earth like I know Mickey Mansell Brendan Dolan I've met them all you know, several times, and they're they're the nicest fellas. You know, they they're actually so down to earth, and I think you know it just goes to show that a lot of these players are, are regular people. You know, sure, like you know they've come from the same as you and me have come from. They've worked up through the ranks, and you know the commitment and the hard work has got them to where they are. But they're just they're just regular people. You know, and they they enjoy their supporters and they appreciate their supporters. You know, as uh, as any good sports person should. You know, and I think it just it just shows that uh, you know, darts is it's a regular sport but it can be it can be taken seriously as well you know yeah and it really comes across I think on on stage as well you know the way they play to the crowd and they're real entertainers real showmen and as they kind of walk up even on their stage walk and stuff engage with the fans high-fiving everything and it just that, to me that's probably the highlight just as a casual fan seeing that engagement seeing that relationship and the atmosphere it's just it's brilliant. And I guess finally, just to finish up, you know, yourself, you're, you're a fanta- a real fanatical uh, fan. There's a great hardcore group there that follow the, the game week to week, event to event. Like, what would you describe, you know, we'll say the actual fans that go to these events, you know, they, they, we see so many of them, you know, chanting and in fancy dress and stuff. But would a lot of those, would a lot of those guys be there? For the darts, primarily, or are they just kind of there for the the show? Really, you know what is do? I guess my question is: Do the real darts fans do they have the access to to these events? Well, I suppose you know it kind of it kind of varies. You know how how it works for the major PDC events. You know, um, it, it, there's a PDC the which is the Professional Darts Corporation. Obviously, you know they run all the major competitions and they have a streaming service, uh, PDC TV you see all the floor tournaments and the non-televised competitions. And if you're a subscriber to that, you get a primary access, you know, to uh, all the tickets. You know, you get a you get a period before a general sale where you can buy them. So, like, I've been a subscriber of that for years. You know, I get primary access to tickets. The last few years, Grand Prix, I've been at the front of the stage, like, you know, because it, I think, you know, to answer your question directly, the hardcore fans, you know, they will have access to the tickets, you know. So if they want to be there, they can, you know. If people are going there for the drink or other reasons, you know, they probably won't have that access. But that's not to say they won't get tickets. But, 
you know, it's it's a game for everyone. You know, it's a night out. If people want to go there and you know have a few drinks, that's okay. But I, I'm more of a man just to watch the darts. You know, the, the darts is, the purest, is what I go for more than purest form, yeah. And it, it, <laughs> exactly. You know, you can't beat it. Like, and I just think it's it's great. It's it's such a good it's a good pastime and everything. You know, even with UCC darts. You know, last year we actually won our our league division last year. You know, with UCC darts, so uh, we're promoted. We're we should have been in the Premier Division this year, or sorry, in the Division One this year. But um, obviously, with with everything that happened, we the season hasn't gone ahead. But uh, it's great, you know, regular regular fellas, you know, from a, every part of the country, you know, come together, play a league of darts, and you know, it's just open to anyone, you know. And I think the the likes of the young Irish players there, excuse me, it just shows that it's possible, you know, it's possible to make it to the top with a, you know, with that bit of competitive nature and a bit of commitment, you know. That's brilliant, and it's. Perhaps you know one the the real kind of unique selling point of the sport, uh, Jack. It's been a, a real pleasure. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed um, talking to you this evening. Uh, I really can't wait to to see what happens and how the drama will unfold, uh, and what is a, an extraordinary event in one of the most extraordinary years in recent times. So, Jack McGuire, thanks a million for joining me this evening. Yeah, so that was Jack Maguire there talking about the World's Dart Championships, which are taking place at Alexandra Palace next Tuesday. The action gets underway, and uh, I'm delighted to say as well that uh, I'm joined by James O'Donovan. You're in studio with us. How are you, sir? I'm very, very good now, Sam. Starting to get that Christmas feel in the air. How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad now, not too bad. It's... Um it's uh, Well, it's uh, an interesting event. I know you're a big fan of the sport as well, and... Well, what a what a what are your thoughts going into it? You're not not as big a fan as you used to be, but yeah, as we were just saying there, all fair. Not as big a fan, unfortunately, anymore. I suppose it's lost some of the appeal with the the, the huge characters you used to have, the Phil Taylors, the Raymond Van Barnevelts of the world. They really, I think, helped really like um, the sport to take off. It grew phenomenally through the through the two thousands decade. It was incredible to uh, to witness that. It like it just went from as we were saying as well, like it went from a uh, Kind of an exclusive pub sport to being mainstream, and it, it, it really became a part of Christmas in my my family. I don't know about yours, but like every Christmas, you'd nearly look forward to be like, When's the dart starting? Well, it's I don't know, Friday the 17th, something like that. And it's just, Oh, it's Christmas. You started to associate Christmas Alexander Palace with the darts, with like it just went hand in hand with Christmas, and it was almost Chris, it's a Christmas tradition at this stage. But I suppose inevitably. With uh, losing Phil and Raymond. If you, if actually, I'm going to just uh, interrupt your live little haphazard here, but I think we might need to just get you to switch over to the the old microphone, <laughs> just because uh, for some reason one of the the other this microphone doesn't seem to be working too much. But anyway, basically, what James was saying was Bruce Synopsis, massive sport. Technical difficulties. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you I were just, looking at me there as if. <laughs> yeah, I for the last. I don't know why, and it's not coming up on my my desk either. So uh, yeah, yeah, error will save the listeners listening to my tripe anyway so they have to put up with enough of it yeah it'll be uh, <laughs> yeah the podcast anyway it'll be uh, a lot of uh, editing work for myself but uh, in a way yeah so it's a huge event in your family and I guess it's just one that's kind of it's synonymous with Christmas it at is, this er- it? like that's what I was saying basically was um from the early 2000s it just really really took off and went from this exclusive pub sport like that only old older grown men very masculine it's just grown and grown and now you see um, like even what was the female player's name last oh, year oh yeah like she got to like the quarterfinals last year like it's really grown like it's not just exclusively to very unattractive fat men <laughs> you have like 
it's almost like it's almost come at like a family event at Christmas uh, at the Alexandra Palace. And um, no, no, it's it's well, we've lost some great characters in the last years, like Phil, Phil the Power and Raymond Van Barneveld. Um, no, it's certainly grown hugely, and it's a part of Christmas these days. Yeah, can't wait. Really looking forward to it. Another big event that we're all looking forward to, I think, from the J uh, point of view anyway, is the All Ireland Hurling Championship final, which takes place uh, on Sunday. Limerick against Watford. Uh, I know my household, it's uh, big excitement. I'm a half Limerick, so uh, my, my old man, he, he's like a child of Christmas waiting for his county men to take on the Dacia at the weekend. So he's hoping for another Limerick victory. And uh, it's probably, they're probably going in as. as at least slight favourites. I think I think so. You got a fancy Limerick, really. Um, although Warford, they have proved an awful lot this year. I think you got to give it to Limerick, given that they've been there, done that. Um, Warford have it all to prove. Having I think their last All Ireland final appearance was best part of ten years ago against Kilkenny, and they got a quite a big pacing that day. I don't think there's too many surviving members of the squad, if any. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But um, no, Warford will have absolutely nothing to lose. I suppose is is the benefit of being underdogs um, and with I'm sure cert, like several players shoo-ins for All-Stars going into the end like Shane Bennett and Tully De Borca, um, I think they they have uh, absolutely nothing to fear and uh, having already seen Limerick in the Munster final it's a rerun of the Munster final I think they'll have learned a lot and belief like Tony like they only lost by four and four if anything flattered Limerick it was neck and neck until the very end of that Munster final so I don't think they have anything really to fear, but at the same time, Limerick are going, are going in knowing we've beaten these guys before. Come on, let's do it again. Yeah, let's finish the job. They probably need that second all Ireland to consider themselves a yeah. great team because... Yeah, uh, I wouldn't even say they, like, they're definitely a very good team. I wouldn't say two all Irelands makes you like, yeah, very good team, but not quite dynasty level yet, but certainly one of the best teams Limerick's produced in, in very like a long number of years. But they have the age profile as well now to match. To kick on. Yeah. They can definitely it's kick scary. on. It's scary. Like, it's yeah. scary how young they are. Like, even like the likes of Aaron Galan was only was still under 21 last year and Kyle Hayes, very young player. Um, you know, he was 19 when he won uh, an All-Star back in, in 2018. So, and they're already so mature mentally, physically. They kind of remind me of some of the other great teams you just find a way to win at this stage and it, it's a really good habit to have yeah um, I suppose last year they maybe had their lull and got caught in the half by Tipperary after winning the Munster final and then having that long break and then getting caught in the semi-final when Tipper gone through the back door and got that momentum up um, but this year obviously with there not being such a long extended break between winning a Munster final I think it's often a disadvantage to winning a Munster because then you get that such long break Cork, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's Cork have done it a few times they've done it a few times where they've been bossing it in Munster they beat all there, all there is to beat in Munster fairly comfortably as well I think in 2018 uh, but then they get that extended break and they come up against a team that's you know, had two or three games in the interim built up ahead of steam and whatever happens to Cork not just Cork other teams have happened to like, as I said Limerick last year and it just what comes against them like you can't beat winning games no matter what level it's at and building up uh, confidence and cohesion in the team um, but yeah Limerick this year now seem like they um, that, that shorter window has definitely benefited them they just kept, their, kept the ball rolling and they uh, came out on top against Galway in the semi-final um, narrowly enough and we're trailing for periods but um, just their ex- just their um, their experience got them through yeah it's it's going to be 
interesting to see like the matchup score because we've seen John Kiley kind of putting loads of different players around different positions Kyle Hayes has played as like a wing back this year where he used to play as an um, underage player and now he's you know he, they can put him into the four line if they need a little bit of firepower and they're not conceding goals either as well I think they've conceded maybe one against Tip it was one or two and the other games they never looked like conceding a goal defensively they've really just decided yeah. to you know, shut up shop. Definitely, um, Kyle Hayes in at wing back. I think he's nailed on for an all star as well in my book. He's been very impressive and just has that um, ability and dynamism. To, you can just throw him in anywhere. The word escapes me, but um, you, he's really suitable to any position at the moment, clearly. And that's like he won an all Ireland playing centre forward as a young player. Like that's very impressive. And then to be able to say, right, this year and like be willing to accept the manager asking him to go back there. Because I don't know, a lot of players might have built up an ego or something, being like, I'm the centre forward, I'm the main man. Like all that goes along with being the centre forward of an All Ireland winning team. But for him to be saying, right, yeah, whatever the team needs, I'll go back there and I'll play wing back. And he's done an exceptional job for them this year. Um, I suppose the other part of them not uh, not conceding goals is also, the, I suppose, an area of concern for them maybe is they haven't scored that many goals. Yeah, um, they have, at least just against Tipperary, I think. Tip, Tipperary, they got three or whatever. Yeah, a bit of a goal fest that game now, in fairness. But um, after that, like the Munster final, they won 25 points to 21. And then they beat Galway, I think, was it 27, 23, something like that. No goals again, Yeah, if my memory is right. Um, but so like Waterford on the other side, then like they've been getting goals. They um, they scored a very impressive total against Kilkenny in the semi final two twenty seven. So I suppose that's an area where Waterford could maybe they can shut out Limerick's forward line. I think they can maybe Shane Bennett, Ozzy Gleeson playing in his new and, and Desi Hutchinson. Desi perhaps, Hutchinson, perhaps the find of the championship. Yeah, as well. fact, fact. But um, Ozzy Gleeson inside as well after redeploying him up into the forward line has been a, a master stroke. You got to say. Um, by Liam Cal, but I think if Waterford can shut up shop at their place and then go goal hunting down Limerick's end, goals win, goals win games at the end of the day. That's it. And they've brought what I've really liked about Waterford this year is they've brought a real kind of ruthlessness to their game because in the past that game against Kilkenny they would have lost, they would have probably just limped to a seven or eight point damage limitation style defeat after being seven down at half time. But then they scored, I mean, that so much on the hop really in the second half with the blue Kilkenny away they were ferocious yeah ferocious and Austin Gleeson is really kind of living up now to his billing as you've mentioned he's living up to the hype now and it'll just be so intriguing to see what happens there and from from your father's point of view he'll want to see the <laughs> the treaty men come home with it again I but think so yeah it'd be nice to see Waterford win it'd be 1959 is the last time yeah. they've done it they've been in a couple of finals that's since. what I said I think it was about 10-12 years ago I remember them getting a bit of a pasting by 2008 yeah. I remember the game I remember getting the a game. bit of a pasting by Kilkenny having absolutely blitzed the championship up until then they just didn't turn up on the day so hopefully for everyone's sake even neutrals involved they do turn up and it's a good game but um, well, yeah. I think your heart would um, would like Waterford to win but I think your head would fancy Limerick I think so. That's your, your you're going to call it. So you, you've stuck a Limerick all year for the All Ireland. I did, yeah. Well, uh, I know the disaster you've had in the football. Football, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go. Don't 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 bring that up now. To be fair, that was a disaster. But um, at least I tipped Cork to be Kerry. But um, other than that, I don't think I got a game <laughs> right. But no, I have stuck with Limerick in the hurling, and with good reason. I just think, like they have the best squad. And as I said last year, I think they just got caught in the hop. I still think, like as they proved this year, they were better than Tip really. Um. And they've they've one game away from proving that they can win two of the last three in back to back monsters already won, so Yeah, it's gonna be I can't wait for it. Hopefully it'll be a great game and uh, that 
uh, gets underway at half three we've got the Joe McDonough hurling match as well then Kerry and Antrim on before and as part of a double header um, I don't know it looks like there'll be no I know the boat managers were calling on families maybe to be allowed to attend it's awesome that yeah yeah but it looks like it probably won't be they're probably doing well at the moment to just have the extended panel who deservedly yeah. are going to be there in attendance yeah. I mean that's crucial and uh, the yeah. cup as well isn't going to be leaving Croke Park they're only allowed to like lift it and they have to basically get out of town so there'll be no homecomings nothing it'll be all very uh, subdued which might help Waterford you know to get the it might not feel the pressure might not be on their back maybe as much as it was even back in 2017 when they faced Galway um, so that might work in I their favour yeah, that has certainly helped other teams well they've that's what some pundits have said anyway is that it's come to the aid of other teams like I think Cavan especially in the football I think their supporters had a habit of getting on their backs when they'd be down in matches and they were certainly doing matches this year, but I think the fact of them having no crowd has it came to their benefit when they were chasing games. You know, you didn't have fellas getting all sorts of stuff said to them and shouted at them from the sideline. You just don't need it at times, but obviously everyone would prefer there to be fans. And um, I suppose we've seen in the Premier League this week with the return of 2,000 fans, it can be done. And Crow Park's a big enough stadium, like you can get in people, I suppose, if you want. But um, I suppose you got to listen to the experts. They're the experts for a reason. That's it. Can't wait anyway. Sunday, uh, we'll uh, see what happens. Now, in other news, going a little bit left field today. What you got for us? Well, we have the the news that breakdancing. Yes, I said it. Breakdancing. Never thought. Not never a word I thought I would say on this show. But it has been announced that it will be an official sport at the Paris 2024 olympic games other sports included on the list are skateboarding as well which could be uh, okay, yeah. an interesting event so what do you make of that it's, i think it's i can, a sport, I, I can, all, I can get on board with the skateboarding like that um air look both of them requires very like quite a lot of talent to, to be good at either if you saw my breakdancing skills up in voodoo back in the day it seems like a long the time training, ago now. training center i think you'd want to get like, i think you'd be scared for life to be honest if you saw some of the moves i'd be pulling but anyway uh <laughs> we'll leave that for another day i think but uh no it's an interesting one um i suppose the olympic committee are always just trying to the ioc are always trying to find new and up-and-coming breakout sports um whether i consider it a sport or not hmm it definitely requires a lot of training and um, development, but I suppose I think we had a discussion last week about it. Another it was esports, esports, yeah. whether that should be. I suppose they both require a lot of um, a lot of training. But I think the distinction I made on esports was that you could do it from your couch. Break dancing certainly not something you can do in your couch, doing flips and headstands and all sorts. That you need a bit more mobility than just what's in the dexterity of your thumbs. <laughs> in fairness to uh, all break dancers out there, I think there's a, a bit more phys- physical strength and stuff. Even mental, just to have the confidence to yeah. even yeah. take yeah. it on. Um, um, I think the, the reason why it's been the main reason why it's been included is they're trying to appeal, I guess, to younger people more yeah. kind of an urban uh, background because. So I did see recently in an article that you know viewership figures among we'll say even our age group are kind of in decline at the moment at, at the really? Olympics. So they're yeah. tr- they're they're trying to bring in different kind of sports. What, that, again, would, that would come as a surprise to me to think that the viewing figures are down. Like all I can remember it when I was growing up is uh, tuning in and even sports that you weren't necessarily interested in, like something like the swimming there or something. You'd see it on. You'd become an expert for that week yeah, or whatever that it's on. Yeah. You'd watch everything. You'd be glued to Michael Phelps. I can remember Beijing, him going for the eight gold medals. And you were like, oh, he's on at this time. Better get up for that and watch that, like no matter what time of the day, because like whatever, 12 hours difference. Um, it was just like one of those things where you become engrossed in random sports 
and obviously like I don't think I took up something she's not the best swimmer but um, <laughs> um, that's again for another day but it just like there are certainly kids out there who watch like things like that like Michael Phelps for example or it could be anything random like I remember watching the archery for example in London it was on in the uh, Lord's Cricket Ground and it was phenomenal like it was like very intense and it's like these people are perf- like professionals like they're they've dedicated their lives to it and they're so good and it's just something to to behold but um to say that viewing figures are falling in the, the younger demographics i suppose you you got to do whatever you can to keep them interested and if that means extending to different sports era i'm all for it if it's once it meets the classification of a sport that we discussed before yeah yeah i think so it's got to have certain core principles that we outline but yeah i think the reason why it's kind of declining i guess is even around teenagers and stuff will say maybe so like you know attention span we're all so like attached to technology and stuff yeah. i guess you got to bring in these other uh, events but that was also my favorite part i think especially growing up is discovering these new stars and these sports that i wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't see on tv every day and it's a great opportunity for those sports to showcase their stars because even athletics I think the profile of the sport has really kind of decreased in recent years especially since Usain Bolt retired yeah. and it's their opportunity to maybe showcase themselves to become the next global star in athletics especially there's definitely an opportunity in athletics I know um, was it Van Niekerk the 400 meter Van Niekerk the South African yeah he's definitely um, not quite on Bolt's level but definitely has the potential going forward to the next Olympics to become the kind of next big but there is there's a there's a gap there now there's there's a gap to be filled by someone, hopefully some young breakout um, athlete, not just a a drug. Uh, what is it? A, a drug monk, like up to their doped up to their gills and all sorts. You know, does breakout and then it falls away. You want someone that comes in clean, obviously, and people can get behind. You know, but that'd be great. But that's for like, who knows? Who knows? Will be who? Who are we to say will be the the stars of the next Olympics? It's, uh, it's a bit away. Next year, I guess. Something to look forward to. Yeah, it, that's a great mystery. But then the ultimate question is, uh, what sports would you like to see at the Olympics? That aren't that there. Now. there. You say, we were talking about darts, maybe. Would, that, would you like to see darts at the Olympics? Yeah, like they have a darts World Cup. Um, yeah, dart, darts could definitely have a place there. I know, like, there's been great success even in like bringing in women's boxing, I know just not just because we're Irish and we have Katie Taylor, but like that's an example of where they've really got it right, you know. Um, yeah, there's a record six or seven, sorry, seven weight divisions out for women at the Tokyo um, really? Olympics. There's yeah. going to be eight in the men's, so they're trying to get that, we'll say that gender uh, balance. So that's but there, like there again, you see like there's definitely been a huge growth in women's, not just boxing but combat sports, probably from it being in the Olympics, you know. So. Um, that's definitely been an example of where where the IOC have gotten have gotten it right, bringing in more sports. Darts, um, yeah, it definitely has the popularity. It definitely has the popularity on uh, on a world level. Like as I said at the start of the show, it's um, it's something that's grown and grown and grown in uh, in the family. Like at not just at Christmas time, it's now uh, all year round. It's it's very popular. I saw. I was I was doing a little bit of research for this because I, I I was just interested to see what the appetite out there is for some different sports and another couple I came across uh, which I found quite interesting. Uh, maybe to bring in you know the Olympics these stars and maybe bring in the we'll say MotoGP or the Formula One guys going to interesting the, yeah. the Olympics. What yeah, do you think? again, strange one. You wouldn't really think of it like. Would you have? Like uh, Christian Horner from Red Bull or something teaming up with Vettel back at like like a reunion or something, but like does that just mean like all the best 
like engine makers like I don't know Honda there, yeah how would that work yeah. that would be my big question does it have to be like a the, would, would, uh, would they all get the same like car to work or work? a car native to that yeah country I don't know like that would be a good way of developing um, you know like indigenous manufacturers and stuff like that like they're to be like the manufacturer of the Olympic team's car would be something you could boast proudly on your advertising like you know it's a good idea. Um, it's, yeah. an, it's an interesting thought, though. But like when you think of most of the Formula One like car manufacturers, like the engine manufacturers, like Honda and um, like they're all kind of Japanese and stuff like yeah, that. Well, well, I'm not even too. I would be too well up now on F1, but you have. Or if Johnny was here now from last week, I suppose he could fill us in. He was a bit of a. Yeah, you have a nerd McLaren, is that a British? Brent McLaren would be British. Yeah, so yeah. Lewis Hamilton, would he be re- reunited back, with yeah. McLaren from back in the day, the yeah, team he won I his mean. first world championship with? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Yeah, but you bring in the manufacturers from the home country. Would you have to have the whole package from the home country? I think so, yeah. But then, but then again, like, there's plenty of coaches who work with athletes from a country who aren't necessarily from that country. So... Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting one, and I, I guess as long as it's a, a level playing field, that's probably the, yeah. the main thing. Yeah. Also, there's some very very left field ones out there. So let me uh, indulge you for just a second. Go on, so uh, chess. Ooh, I actually Queen's Gambit. Were you watching it? Uh, no, I haven't. But um, yeah, it's, it's actually on the Christmas list this year in the houses. We were looking for um, board games or whatever to get in, and I was like, I actually never learned to play chess, so I think we're uh, we're getting one for for Christmas, maybe a nice one, and uh, might learn how to play that over the Christmas period. It's definitely a, an interesting one. But uh, like chess was um, talking to my um, family members about it. Actually, was that uh, chess was very very popular in kind of like the the mid twentieth century in like the kind of Cold War era. Like you yeah. had you had like the Grandmaster from. Uh, America, I can't, I can't remember their names now. Um, forgive me on that. But uh, you had the like the Soviet Union Grandmaster and the America, and they used to meet and basically play all over the world. They used to meet in Iceland and these and like huge, huge viewing figures, which is just mad. You wouldn't think of it now. You just think of chess now as like a bunch of nerds playing after school. For forgive me, anyone out there who plays it, like as I just said, I'm planning on playing it over the Christmas period. So you could include me in that nerd list if you want. But. Um, no, it's funny how, how sports come and go from the public eye. Yeah, because like even the world number one going out at the moment, uh, Magnus Carlsen, he's from Norway and he certainly doesn't fit the kind of stereotypical view. He's, I think he's signed to a model agency, oh. a big con- a $1 million contract then with another um, business company. And he's making like these, the top guys to make around, we'll say if the if you include like the sponsorship deals, maybe like seven figures and stuff. So it is a sport that... Um, Growing. Or a sport, I don't know. I mean, a game. We'll say that makes that um, is is growing at the moment. I think Queen's Gambit has, has done so much for for it. Now another uh, another sport as well. Uh, this this one to me was the mo- the most outlandish one of them all. Poker. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of men out there who indulge in a game of poker, like myself, on a Friday or Saturday night, who would say uh, they'd fancy themselves as maybe as, as an Olympic gold medalist if it was included. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do you draw the line then at, at chess and stuff? Like, if it, it would kind of be a floodgates, you know, if you start letting one or two of these sports in, do you let them all in? I suppose at the other start, like, what sort of sports have they removed from the Olympics in recent years? Has there been any? Yeah, it's a good question. I think baseball was there a couple of years ago, but that's a team sport. I don't even think men's baseball. I think it was more softball. I think Softball, I, is, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. like, that's literally a game exclusively played in America and I think it's played popular in maybe Korea or Japan yeah, or somewhere Japan, like China yeah. I think as well I think it's bit. so I think they just got rid of that because like 
it's not a world game in a sense like that and it's like I don't know if it's like if you included hurling in the Olympics I'm sure we we'd all love it like but realistically like countries that would play it would be Ireland like Australia would probably perform a team of Irish people who have emigrated it would basically just be like the Irish diaspora uh, sending in teams from around the world like it I suppose that's kind of like the way it was in softball it was like you had two main countries and that was it like everyone else was kind of like it was probably played by a lot of like shall we say like diaspora from different parts of the world like from America playing somewhere else and then putting forward a team you know it probably wasn't really that I think it that's that's a good criteria it has to be a world yeah played around the world like it can't just be dominated by two or three teams I do think two or three or, countries or right, like the reason why that would softball for example it was included I think last time in, in Beijing I think one of the perks for the hosts city is they can pick one sport that's kind of not even native but it's culturally very significant <laughs> in their country so karate has been included in the Tokyo Olympics for example uh, I would I kind of would have thought that would have been in any way but I didn't know it wasn't like I know you have judo yeah judo uh, wrestling I think is yeah there. you have all that anyway so um no it makes sense to have karate involved as well I, I didn't really know it wasn't so that's good that it's back in or that it's included this time yeah, it's uh, an interesting one. I guess that's we could go on all day about this. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a show, isn't there? It is. I'm, I'm very um, proud of myself now. I, I came up with this topic. Very good. So uh, <laughs> I'm very. Pr- I think that's made up for some of the technical glitches uh, earlier. But and me being late. <laughs> uh, but uh, moving moving on, uh, our last. Um, our last little segment for uh, today before we move on to our hidden gem story is uh, the Rugby Champions Cup. It's coming under the radar. I mean, I, I'm a massive rugby fan. I didn't even know it was on this weekend until I was listening um, to some of the, the other media stuff uh, this morning about yeah. it. So I Mon- didn't know it was on until you told me there, but never. <laughs> so, so Munster are, are getting their campaign underway against Harlequins uh, on Sunday at half five at an empty Toman Park. It'd be interesting to see if does that have a, a factor uh, which is you know Tone Park is such a fortress for Munster rugby but mm. uh, they've made a few changes to the format of it this year so there's going to be two groups of 12 teams and this is due to the Covid pandemic they're trying to lessen the travel between countries and how it's going to work is each team will have two other teams kind of drawn in a little mini group it's kind of like what they do in the NFL if anyone's familiar with how they do it there so you have your conference yeah. and then you have your smaller divisions yeah. in each yeah okay. so um, it's going to so it's Claremont and Harlequins drawn in our group Ooh. and you play both teams twice so home and away and then what's very interesting is in the f- teams against the four best records or points total in each group of 12 will advance to the quarterfinals and the quarterfinals for the first time ever will be played over two legs there'll be a home and away tie so very interesting that's never been something in in any sort of like level of rugby that I've seen before is uh, a two-legged tie so yeah, that, that, it's, it's something that's mirroring been, the Champions League yeah it's been something that's been touted the last couple of years but they're going to do it now this year I guess to make up for the less games in the group stages but I wonder will that suit Munster they're going they're in a pretty good place at the moment a lot of young players coming through the likes of Ben Healy Craig Casey have come in and you know there's been so much kind of I guess negativity around the lack of players coming through the Munster Academy system compared to the behemoths that is Leinster but they seem to be coming to the fore seven wins from seven as well in the Pro 14 they've yeah. got 100% record and Johan van Grant seems to be finding his feet now yeah. at a club they're going well yeah um, I suppose a lot of the focus in recent weeks has been on the Irish team um, mixed results there in their 
Um, I didn't even know what it was called. The there. Autumn Nations Cup. And yeah. it really wasn't that I important. was going to call it the Guinness Internationals, to be fair, because that's all I ever remember them yeah. uh, at this time of year. But um, a mixed bag for them, I suppose they ended on a good note beating Scotland. But I suppose a lot of the talk was kind of, well, a lot of the things I noticed around the Irish team was that they didn't really have much coming true in a sense. It felt like you take away Sexton, you take away Murray, what's left for Ireland. At provincial level, though, it seems like they're, they're going so well. Like Leinster are winning all around them um, every year in the Champions Cup. I know not last year, obviously. It was uh, Exeter came, it was Exeter Chiefs won the Champions, Champions Cup, Cup. Yeah, yeah. beat Rossing. Yeah, but um, in pre- years previous to that, Leinster have been sort of the team to beat at European level. And Munster have been doing well, knocking at the door, but just not like falling just short, but definitely competing and holding their own Ulster. They're always there, thereabouts, and Connacht have done well either in the Champions Cup or in the Challenge Cup. Yeah. But um, no, the, the, the provinces have definitely been doing well um, in the Pro 14, um, Munster especially this season now. But um, yeah, some good young players coming through and hopefully um, they can start coming to the fore on the uh, European stage now as well. Yeah, they've been, they've been, they're a record. It really, so they've lost their last six European semi-finals and that's been I guess the glass ceiling since we last won in 2008 and there's real hope that these young players coming through will add to the depth and that they could be the difference between us making a final or, or not because in the last couple of semi-finals in particular we've had so many injuries like Joey Carberry's been out yeah, for so long I mean I can't remember the last time he's played for Munster and that's the I suppose that's the downside of the fit, like the growing and growing physicality of the game is that you just have an absolute abundance of injuries at times and often it's who like who like in a major tournament who has the like the, the most of their first team left by the end of the tournament is the teams that will be successful and if anything that's down to like luck in a sense like you know of you not getting injured or whatever I know you can do all the strength and conditioning and stuff in the world but like at the end of the day if some fella falls on you a wrong way like it's a very it's like physical contact game like anything can happen in a sense that you could just be unlucky and get any sort of injury and you could be ruled out for the rest of the tournament you could be your country's main player um, so that's the, probably the downside of the growing physicality and Joey Carberry's fallen victim to that I don't quite know what's wrong with him at the moment but um, they're very toilet yeah even like Johan Vergrand was asked about it during the week in the uh We'll say the press conference, and he was saying very much yeah. toilet, just saying, "Look, we're happy with his progress. We want to give him all the time in the world to get back." And it's a position that Munster have had so many problems with in the last few years. Yeah. No player really kind of caught. grabbed it since yeah. since you go back as far as Ronan O'Gara. Yeah, like, and I know it was big, big, big boots to fill, but I suppose they haven't had um, a ten at his level who was basically like he was the franchise. He was the the franchise An ten. Icon. Yeah. yeah. He was, yeah, and we're not boys because we're from Cork at all. Um, <laughs> and he went to the same school. <laughs> but um, went to my school for a year as well. Oh, did he? Yeah, and he uh, moved. No one cares. Mercenary. No, no one cares about that. <laughs> um, uh, yes, they've struggled to fill his boots now. In fairness, I think like they had Keatley for a while. Yeah, Hanrahan is, is kind of Hanrahan's always. I think because he always promised a lot. Yeah, and he hasn't quite delivered. To be like, yeah, it's harsh to say that about him. I'm sure he's had a great career in his own right but you're always comparing him back to the icons that's gone before him it's like any manager that's come into Man United they're compared back to Sir Alex we won't go there after last night we won't go it's alright Arsenal are worse Um, (laughs) but uh, then you had like Tyler Blaindale and like again he was a fellow with lots of like dogged with injuries yeah and he had to unfortunately retire yeah yeah, it was a neck injury or something with him yeah Um, so you like JJ Ian Keatley Tyler Blaindale um, was there a Johnston at, um, yeah the, um, Johnny Holland and there was a Bill Johnston there yeah. as well I think he's gone abroad out to yeah. play 
to play rugby but that's becoming more and more attractive to young players I know and that's certainly been a, like an appealing to go to to the continent maybe yeah. earn your stripes over there and uh, I know you don't you can't get picked by the national squad if you're over there unless you're Johnny Sexton um, different rules for everyone I guess but um it's certainly a, a good avenue to go for. We've seen it in soccer, as we discussed, I think, last week, that uh, more and more players are going in the non-traditional route. I suppose the traditional route for rugby players here would be, I don't know, play your club rugby after you finish school, um, play your club rugby, play your college rugby, try and break into the provincial system, get an academy contract and work your way up. But I suppose a lot of them maybe are finding that tough because the competition in provinces, like, we only have four. Yeah, there's uh, so many players there now. So, well. And, like, the depth is ferocious at, pro- at provincial level. And then throw on top of that your international players that you pay big money for and you almost feel obliged to play or whatever. And they just sort of, like, you have your younger players, like, struggling to get game time as a result. So it's definitely a, a very good option to take up if it presents itself to you to go and apply your trade in the continent or even further afield I'm sure I don't think of any names off top but I'm sure there's definitely Irish players who have gone down under and playing and stuff like that so. yeah I think Rob Cardi's gone down there now with the is it the war it has I could be wrong on the club yeah. but he's gone down now for a couple of years that could be interesting now to see I'm sure there's definitely I, we just don't know because we're <laughs> probably not the best uh, rugby correspondents yeah. but um, <laughs> there's definitely has been like you know, the Irish who emigrated shall we say in the last recession yeah. there's surely some of them who have ended up playing in their um, in their um, like rugby championship yeah. Is it Super 14 or Super, yeah, yeah Super 14? Because um, that's like extremely high level. And if you got went away and played down there, Jesus, it would only come to your benefit, really, I think. And uh, Rob Kearney moving down there might be a catalyst for more young lads going down there. I know he's obviously a veteran and he's, I suppose, he's done all, achieved all he wanted to do with Ireland and Leinster. So that's why he's gone down there. But maybe younger players who have something to prove might follow in his footsteps and go down there. Yeah, yeah, we can't wait anyway to see what happens in the future of Irish rugby. Uh, it's going to be interesting to say the least. So now we've <laughs> got uh, such a. Uh, well, we got our hidden gem story now for this week, all, as always. And uh, this week uh, we've got, I suppose, uh, our own kind of personal connection to it. And it's the, uh, the UC Tennis Club, we're both uh, committee members this year. And uh, they're going to be hosting a t- uh, 2020 event uh, tomorrow night uh, on Zoom at, at half seven. And there's going to be a number of uh, very interesting uh, guests from the world of women's tennis uh, from Ireland. And uh, they're just going to be giving their insights into what's, um, what it's like, I guess, to be a female athlete at the moment, especially over in America. And um, how the growth, I guess, and uh, the growth and popularity uh, of not just women's tennis but women's sport and that's uh, I think an important point to mention because even if you don't have any interest in tennis you know it's going to be a, a great event just uh, very insightful to and I uh, think not just for girls I think lads could definitely learn a exactly, lot from it too 100%, 100%. it's uh, there's no the, it's very much an inclusive event for everyone it's uh, like while maybe the purpose or the theme of it is women's participation in sport I think it's uh, open to all Definitely. So, and yeah. I think the sign up is on the uh, UCC Tennis Instagram. Yeah, up on Facebook, I think as well. Yeah. So, so any of the t- UCC Tennis socials, I think you can get involved in a seven thirty tomorrow night. Yeah, and even if you're not like open, venture to people outside of UCC. Boys, oh, you don't have to play girls. tennis at all yeah. to be involved. I think this is just purely like it's a great, yeah. great initiative. I think the twenty by twenty campaign, and they've been very successful. Yeah, I've definitely seen it in other sports as well. Absolutely, yeah. So have some tomorrow night. Mention to whoever it is, even or, you know, if you've some young, promising uh, athletes, even underage, um, coming through in, in, in tennis or in the different yeah. sports. They've got some them. good uh, role models um, yeah. lined up, like Gina Nyland, Julie Byrne, Gronny O'Neill. 
Uh, Julie Byrne, I think, especially, I think they, they probably all could have been Fed Cup players for Ireland. Uh, might be wrong there, but um, no, I think they were. Yeah, first, all yeah. Things, yeah. So, so they're they're really the the top of the echelons of the sports. They're good role models to hear from. I know I'll be tuning in. Yeah, I know. I, I can't wait now myself. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow night at, at half seven. So uh, get on it if you're not doing anything else. But uh, we've come to the end of the show now today, unfortunately. But I 